This is our last uh, sermon on our money series that we've been doing over the last five weeks. And uh, just briefly, for those of you who haven't been with us or are new this morning, the reason we've been looking at this is that Jesus makes money a central issue in following him. He talks about it more than anything else other than the kingdom of God. And he's clear that the way we respond to him with our money is the primary indicator of our walk with him. And uh, over the last four weeks we've been we, we've been looking at different texts and then last week we began a two-part sermon which tried to bring together everything that the bible has to say uh well not everything unfortunately but the main themes of what the bible has to say about money and possessions and uh, last sunday uh we focused particularly on the questions about giving and living so uh you know the common questions we asked like how much do i have to give what am I allowed to spend on myself? How much should I live off? And, and those kind of things. And um, today we're, we're going we're gonna to look at something else. But I, I wanted to say that it is genuinely a two-part sermon. You know, if you're here today and you weren't here last week, I r- really encourage you to go on the website and listen to the podcast because what I have to say today will be unbalanced without what I said last week. Uh, and in many ways, what I said last week is more foundational and perhaps more important than what I'm going to say this week. So uh, we always encourage you to listen to the sermons you missed, though you, you, you know, we harp on about it, but if I can make a special plea for last week's, um, then, then that's that. And of all the things we spoke about, perhaps the most important was um, that when we, beca- as we were singing this morning, we, be- we become a Christian and Jesus saves us, takes our sin, gives us his life and a hope and a future. Uh, and we exchange that for all our stuff. We give all of our stuff to God and he, and, he, uh, and he gives to us a place in his kingdom. And that includes all our money and possessions, but we have a habit of taking them back. And so often we think of, uh, of, uh, of reality as this is my stuff, my money, my possessions, my house, etc. Now I need to think about, uh, about how much I'm going to give to God. And what we talked about last week was that instead we need to see that everything that we have is God's and the question to ask is how much of what is God's that I steward should I keep for myself rather than how much should I give today though uh, you know when we have wrestled with the scriptures and the Holy Spirit and the teaching and we have come to some decisions about how much we should keep about how much we should live off and how much we should use the other resources uh, for God's kingdom we still then face questions of okay but then what do I give to? Um, I think our co- common questions uh, are along the lines of, you know, do I give to my local church? And if so, how much? There's 101 charities out there. Which of those charities should I, as a Christian, be giving to? How do I balance the different... There are always more needs than I have resources. How do I balance the different resources, uh, the different demands? And um, those are the kind of questions we want to address today. Just like last week, I'm going to give you four principles that I think capture the main thrust of what the Bible has to say on this. And then we'll get into some actual questions and application. Uh, there is question and answer. We are running a bit late, though. So um, testing your questions anyway. If we can address them, we will. And if we can't, we'll do a special podcast where we do all of your questions. So if we haven't scratched your itch over this series, if there's something left unsaid, please text in and we'll make sure that in one way or another we address those. We want to connect your the decisions you face with the reality of Jesus' teaching and to bridge that gap. 
Okay, so the first of the four principles. Why as, a, why as a Christian are we asked to give? Well, the first principle is that we give to support ministry. And I start with this principle because it's probably the one that's most familiar to those of us who have been in church for a while. In short, the Bible is clear that um, we are to give to support what we often call ministry. Uh, I'm going to give you a couple of texts, a couple of places where that is clear. Um, just, you know, if you want to go away and wrestle with this stuff, you, you've got some text with which to do that. Uh, the first one is in 1 Corinthians 9, in Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. And Paul had a very complicated relationship with this church, and some of that was to do with money. Paul wouldn't accept money from them because he didn't want to be controlled by them. They were a church that was split into lots of factions. Things were very complicated and political and so Paul didn't accept money from them to avoid getting drawn into that. But this upset the church, and he deals with it at one point. And as he does say, so, he makes it clear that although he didn't accept money from them because of the situation, that is the norm, is that he would have been supported by them. So in these verses, 3 to 14, these are some of the things that he says. Do we not have the right to food and drink uh, as, as he serves the church? Does he not have the right to sustenance? Do I say this on human authority? Does not the law say the same? So he, he grounds this in the Old Testament scriptures as well. If we have sown spiritual good among you, is it too much if we reap your material benefits? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not still share it more? So just a, one text where it's, it's very clear that supporting ministry is a norm. Uh, another text views in Galatians 6.6, 6, one who is taught the word must share all good things with one who teaches. And 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18, again, is, a, is another good text. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double pay or double honour. Honour means pay. Especially those who labour in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says this, you shan't muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, i.e. when the ox is going round the, turning the grain like that, he should be allowed to eat as he's doing it. And... Um, um, and the labourer deserves his wages. That's Jesus, of course. Jesus said that when he sent his 72 followers out. He said, you know, eat and drink what you're given. The labourer deserves his wages. So these texts are just to give you something to ground it in. Um, but this isn't just, I don't want you to see this as just proof texting, that we've got a couple of texts where it's specific, so therefore. Uh, I'd encourage you to see that this is part of the sweep of the whole of the way that the Bible talks about this. Um, throughout the New Testament, it's clear that every believer ministers in some way. We all encourage one another, correct and teach one another, we watch out for one another, we share the gospel, we contribute to the life of the church family. In that sense, we all minister. But it's equally clear that there are some who are called to do that with more of their time and are financially supported to do so. And we tend to call those people ministers or pastors or church workers or whatever, but... Um, also would encourage you to see that this is a sweep through the Old Testament as well. In the Old Testament you have a priesthood which is part of the nation of Israel that ministers, uh, knows the law and the scriptures, helps Israel to follow Jesus but is supported by financially by the rest of the nation of Israel. Now there are big differences between Old Testament priesthood and New Testament ministers but in this regard there is some continuity that some are financially released to serve the whole. We'll come to some of the practical ins and outs of this later, but that's the principle for now. The second principle, though, that is not the only thing that we're called to give to. We are also called to give to mission. 
which is the second principle. And by mission, what I mean is what the Youth for Christ guys are doing, which is to share the good news of Jesus with those who don't know him. In many ways, this point is an extension of the last. We're all called to be missionaries. We're all called to share the gospel, to live lives that um, seek to make Jesus known to those who don't know him. But again, some are released financially to do this with a greater proportion of their time than most of us can. Again, the best example in the New Testament is Paul, who wrote those letters I quoted before. When he writes to the church in Philippi, he thanks them for entering into partnership with him by sending him money to support him as he plants new churches. As I said, when he writes to the Corinthian church, he makes it clear that when he worked with them, he was being supported by other churches. So he is a clear pattern of this then. But again, it's not a matter of proof texting. The idea that we would give our money to release people to spend more of their time sharing the gospel makes sense within the biblical worldview. If we really believe as Christians that, like Peter preached in Acts, you know, Jesus is the only name under heaven by which man might be saved, then it make and, and we're then called and sent by Jesus to the ends of the earth to make his name known, it, it surely makes sense that we as believers would give our money to enable that to happen. In many ways, that's what it's all about, isn't it? I mean, if the church isn't doing that, what are we doing? Again, who, how, how much will come to you shortly. The third principle is giving to the poor. Uh, as we explored last week, God is good and created a good creation that we are meant to enjoy. And because he did so, it is an offence to God and a disaster that so many human beings are not able to enjoy the good creation of God. And therefore, Christians are called to fight against poverty and to relieve the needs of others. There are so many verses in the Bible that make this point. It seems silly to pick out a couple, but because there's a part of me that still can't get out of having to do this. Here's a, there's a few verses on the Bible. Luke 12, 33, sell your possessions, give to the needy. Just Jesus is so blunt, isn't he? Sell your possessions, give to the needy. There you go, there's the principle. Then in Acts 2, we see that's what the early church actually did. Uh, sold their possessions and gave the proceeds to all who ever had need. And um, another one from Galatians for you. Uh, when Paul is sent out to plant churches, the one thing the other apostle said to him is, but as you do this, just make sure you remember the poor. He says, that's exactly what I was eager to do anyway. Over and over again, the poor are considered the special concern of God. Uh, James, book of James, chapter 1, verse 27 says this. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You could sort of, James boils discipleship down to <laughs> caring for the poor and keeping yourself unstained from the world. Pretty clear. And a good verse, I think, for those of us who um, have been Christians a while to read on a regular basis. As is verse 22 of that chapter, which says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, so deceiving yourselves. Another good verse for Christians to read on a regular basis. The fourth and the final principle is that justice is better than charity. Two weeks ago in the question and answers after the sermon, Tim, uh, Tim gave a nice little illustration actually of, you know, when we care for the poor and charity, it's like we're fishing people out the river and you keep fishing people out the river, but at some point you may want to go up the river to find out who's pushing them in. 
And again and again, the scriptures are clear that God doesn't just demand charity, he demands justice. And if you think about it, a lot of charity work only exists because of a lack of justice. Many people are poor because of a lack of justice in their own country where corruption um, you know, or violence robs them of the ability to provide for themselves. Or macroeconomic global injustice where the rich West oppresses a poor majority world. You know, it is true that the vast majority of the most poor countries in the world are the same countries that were basically raped by England and Spain and France and America over the 18th to 20th century, ripping out their resources and building in systems that impoverished them. They still live with that legacy. And the Old Testament prophets are particularly vociferous about two things. One we're familiar with, which is idolatry. But it can be a surprise to know that the second most common accusation of the prophets is a lack of justice for the poor. It is one of the central reasons why Israel was exiled, one of the central complaints of God against his people. And again, in the New Testament, the same message is emphasized. Uh, yeah, I've, I've, that's enough to say. I think that makes the point. So charity and giving to the poor are necessary and right, but justice is better. It doesn't just meet their needs, but it gives them dignity and uh, the ability to make choices and contribute and live into the image of God. So those are the four principles. Uh, I think I've got a little reminder slide. There you go. So those are, I would suggest that those are the sort of four main principles we can draw from the Bible of where our money that we don't keep for ourselves is directed towards. And now, in the time that's left with each of these areas, I want to try and address then some of the sort of practical stuff and the complexities that knock around all of these. If you were here at the start of the series, uh, the very first sermon, you'll remember that I said that preaching on money in church can be very difficult, not just because money is a touchy subject for all of us, but because often those doing the teaching, like me, are paid ministers of the church. So when I start talking about some of the complexities of giving to the local church, it is entirely possible for this to come across as me canvassing income for my employer. And I have been in churches where that is pretty much what's going on. So I, I understand uh, sort of from, from sitting where you are some of the dynamics of this. But, all, you know, and it may be that as I talk this morning, some of you will still draw, draw that conclusion of me. And there's not a great deal I can do about that. But what I can say is that we are endeavouring to present to you the teaching of Scripture as we understand it and to teach straight about what Jesus says about money. And that's not, um, that's not the angle we're coming from. But hey-ho, there's only a limit to how much I can say. Uh, but if we, acknowledge, if we acknowledge some of the complexity of that, and I think we can talk about it, so I just want to acknowledge that. The other thing I want to say is that I have no idea which of you gives or how much you give. I have, I have no access to the accounts um, and I think that's important to say as well. There are people that do in the church. We have a finance administrator who does, Sarah, <laughs> over there, and uh, an elder and a director as well um, who, who will see the accounts, legal responsibilities and all of these sorts of things. Myself, Tim, Andrew, others who have preached, we've got no idea. We're totally in the dark. So the first question that some of us ask, potentially not in public, but I bet we all ask at some point is, should I... Do I have to give to the church that I attend? Should I give to my local church? 
And the simple answer is yes. And the next quote, nay. <laughs> the simple answer is yes. I think the New Testament's clear on this. I, I've taken you through some of the text this morning. Uh, if you're part of the church family, if you listen to the teaching, if you gather with us, if you benefit from uh, the things that go on here, then you should be financially supporting that work on a regular basis. But it's not just because it's clear in the text. Uh, it's also the dynamics of being a family together. You know, do we want to invest in our children and our young people and see them grow into who God's called them to be? Do we want to care for one another um, and help us all to grow spiritually? Do we want to reach out to our local community? Do we want to, all these things that we think are good things that the church does, do we want them to happen or not? And if we do, um, the church is only supported by those of us who are in it. It's, it's our money that we pull together. There's no sort of government funding stream uh, that we can spend. So part of being a family is contributing to what we value here and what we're a part of. And if we don't give, then we have to understand that what we're doing is we are benefiting from what other people are paying for, basically. If we don't give, we are benefiting from what other people are paying for. Obviously, visitors, you know, those who are just exploring, it's not incumbent on you to give because this is not yet your family. But if this is your family and you're not giving, then you're not doing your bit, really. I, I don't think I could be much clearer than that. Um, at the end of the day, when all is said and done, it is immoral to not give to the local church that you're a part of to not regularly financially support the ministry. Now, many of you know that. You've given regularly for years and, and, and you know this. Um, but there may be others who have come for a long time or followed Jesus for a long time and never, never understood that or in some way resisted it. And our plea to you in this series is sit with the Lord and the teaching and the scriptures and feel free to come and talk to us if you think otherwise. But that is, um, that is how we understand the scriptures. There may be others of you who are fairly new Christians or new to this church, and this is news for you. And um, again, my encouragement for you is see this whole series as an invitation to start following Jesus with your money as well as the rest of your life. And again, if there's any more helpful ways we can help you to do that, come and speak to us. A, you know, if you realise, oh my goodness, I haven't been, and you're telling me that now I should, there's no condemnation. We all struggle but let's help one another to follow Jesus more. So feel free to come and talk to us. Okay. So, when we do realise that part of G following Jesus is giving to the local church, my experience is we tend to become a bit more interested in what happens to our money that we hold collectively. So the second question, what do we spend the money that I give on? What do we spend the money that I give on? Um... It is funny, isn't it, with these sort of questions, even though we know that we are the church, with these sort of questions, we can so easily start thinking of the church as this sort of detached, impersonal entity that does stuff with the finances, or the church, the church should do this or should do that, or why doesn't this, like, it's us. <laughs> um, those who take financial decisions in the church are elders and directors. Uh, they're on the website. Some of them in fact, uh, if you're an elder or a director, would you just stand up for me? I'm not going to get you to do anything other than stand up, but just so people can look around. There we go. We've got Simon, Anne, and Sarah, directors. I'm here, Tim, the only. David Faulkner at the back. Thank you. There's a few of us missing today, so there's a few others, but 
It's us. <laughs> there is no church that's impersonal. It's us. So what we spend our money on is, um, is shown in this little pie chart here that I want to show you. This is a pie chart from the last financial year. If you're at our church family meeting in May, you'll have had a chance to go into this a little bit more and ask some questions. Uh, the text may not be big enough for you to read. I'm sorry if it's not, but the big blue section is uh, what we spend on ministry sort of in our church family and our kind of our circles, our stuff. Uh, the red one is what we spend on to other churches that we give away to the sort of ministry of God beyond our walls. Uh, the grey is what we currently share, spend on poor care and the yellow is what we spend on mission. So we try and spend now in the categories in which I'm talking to you this morning. That's how we try and think about our spending. Um, if you want any more details on the finances, by the way, you're part of the church family, come and talk to me. Or John, John Cook's not here today, but he, w he is normally here, and he, uh, he also has more details. I'm going to come back to that graph in a moment, but one more question I'm going to throw in the ring first is this. How much should I give to the local church? You know, maybe, uh, maybe you know, you feel convicted this morning that, yep, giving to the local church is right, or you've already believed that, but, but how much? Last week, I tackled questions of how much should I give overall? How much of my stuff should I keep? Uh, so I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about out of everything that we give away, how much of that should we give to the church? And the answer is that there is no clear answer. There is no law. We don't live under the law. There is no uh, direct command of Jesus about any of this. There is no easy answers. But here's a few points that I'm going to give that may help you to think about that as you sit with the Holy Spirit. The first is this, that if we, um, you know, that graph, let's have the graph back up. I think it's on the next slide as well. If that's our giving together, um, I, in our church family meeting, I think there was an appetite that we wanted to give more away to missions and to poor care and we and we had a look and we thought oh 66 percent on us feels a bit much wouldn't it be great if we could give more away and um if we want to do that together then it is just worth saying that logically if we want to change that pie chart but our income stays the same that means either me or tim losing our jobs and probably either roxy or natalie losing their jobs as well Maybe that's the way. It's risky preaching sermons like this, isn't it? Because you never know the consequences. Um, but, you know, because it is only our money, if we value what we have here and we want to just give more away, it's not quite that simple. I would suggest if we want to be very generous with our collective money, we also need to be generous with what we put in individually into the collective pot. Otherwise, it can be a little bit like wanting to sort of pass the generosity on to someone else you know um, I will give my bit and I expect you to somehow come up with miraculous generosity sort of on my behalf I think there is an appetite to shift this pie chart um, you know I feel uh, my personal conviction is that if Jesus said you know love your neighbor as you love yourself it sort of makes sense to me it would be great if we could get to a point where we were giving away over half our money that would feel like loving your neighbor like you love yourself um, it's worth saying as well, yeah, I've been in six or seven different churches, always had an interest in the money. Many of you will have been to other churches. If we were able to do that, that would be incredibly rare. 
I, I know of no other churches apart from one who, who manages to give away half their money. And it's not that we'd want to do it to somehow be like the best, but would we not want to set an example and be a catalyst for change in the way that us Western Christians thought about possessions? But this may only happen if individually we contribute to that in some way. So that's the first point I want to give you in terms of thinking about how much you give to our collective money is to say that this pie chart only shifts really when we individually shift with it. I can't speak for the elders and directors, not, we haven't come to any agreements, we haven't even talked about this, but I think, having explored it over the last few months, there's an appetite among your leaders to do that. There is an appetite that if we had more money coming in, we would want to give more away. And um, anyway, I'll say, a bit, I'll say a bit more about that later. Uh, just to personally, you know, what have I done over the years with my wife? Well, we, we over the years have, just in our hearts with the Holy Spirit, we've always thought that we'd give at least 10% to the church. Um, it's not a rule or a law. You know, I deconstructed the tithe last week, so it's not been a tithe. But for us, um, whatever we've given, some years more, some years less, we've never given less than 10% to the local church. That's been our settled conviction. It may not be yours. But if you're struggling, I suggest it's not a bad sort of default. You may give 25% of money away, but not a bad default is to put the first 10% to the church and then give the rest on top of that. But that is not a, that's not a rule. That's just a practical suggestion if you struggle with this question. And the final thing I'd say if you, if you, are, you know, have questions about this is get more involved. At the last church family meeting, we were able to start talking about this. And I think probably at the next family meeting, we will continue in some way to talk about this. And if you're part of this church family and you have thoughts and questions, well, get stuck in. You know, a part of me thinks if there were some of us that were really passionate about what we were doing to care for the poor or to give more to missions, well, we could actually get together and do some thinking and, you know, we could get involved in this. Um, so that's the invitation through this whole sermon, really, is don't be pushed away by anything I say, but be drawn into further conversation, okay? Just practically, some very practical advice. If, if you do give to the church, if you're able to, I do suggest you give by direct debit or by some sort of regular rhythm, partly for your sake. If, if I relied on my monthly memory or just how I felt every week, I don't think I'd give obediently to Jesus, it takes a moment of clarity and conviction of the Holy Spirit and you do something that you then hold yourself to because you know God's spoken. Sometimes God can speak one week and if I don't do something about it, the next week I may pretend he didn't. But also for the elders and directors, those of us who make decisions, it's most helpful to us if we have some idea of rhythm to be able to work out what we can give to and what we can't. If you don't do that currently and would like to, there's forms at the table on the back, standing order forms, gift aid forms, etc. So um, the stuff's at the back or on the website. Another practical uh, tip though is just to keep talking about it. Yeah, I've said that already so I'm not going to do it again. Talk to us about it. Review your giving yearly. Me and JD, every year we'll sit down, say, is God calling us to do the same as last year or different or, you know, in, a, in most areas of Christian life, it's good to review with the Lord every now and then. Lord, am I still obedient to you in this? Have things changed? Also, our circumstances change yearly for many of us. You may 
you know, pay falls or rises, uh, jobs come and go. So yearly review, and uh, yeah, the final thing is to become ever more part of the family. You know, it is true that you people feel it, some people feel very on the inside of our family here, some of you will feel on the fringe, some of you will feel like you're on the outside looking in, and all of that can make money complicated. And my invitation to you is, if it's making money complicated, come and speak to me about how you may come more on the inside, and that may help. Okay, that's that about ministry. Any questions that I haven't nailed, text in. Mission and poor care. With both mission and poor care, some of the way that we go to this is through our money together, as you saw, but for many of us, God will put it on our hearts to give, not just through the local church, but to give um, to other things as well. And I've chosen to address these two together because I think they belong together. It makes no sense to feed a starving man and not tell him the gospel. You meet his needs now, but you don't meet his most profound needs. It's also perverted, really, to tell a man the gospel while he's starving and not give him some bread. If the love of God isn't in us, you know, if the love of God is in us, how can we neglect either of those needs? So often mission and poor care belong together. Not always, but often. How should I choose what to give to? Um, did I put that one on there? First question, how should I choose what to give to? Oh, there we go, there it is. Um, often we give to things we have a personal connection with. Either as a church, you know, if you've suffered with cancer, you often give to a cancer charity. If you've been to a deprived part of the world, you often give to a charity that works there. And I suggest that's good. And the more personal connection, the better, because then we don't just give our money, but we pray and, we, um, and we're involved in supporting them holistically and there's more accountability and trust. So the first tip is generally the more personal the connection, the better. Um, but you also, that may not be possible. Many of us don't know that many people who work relieving global poverty. Um, so if we want to support an organisation, I suggest it's worth asking a few questions. Questions like this. In the cold light of day, do they help or do they actually harm? Unfortunately, many good-hearted endeavours harm rather than help in the end. You may think of countries that have a famine and the World Bank dumps a load of grain on them, puts all the local farmers out of business and impoverishes the country for the next 10 years. You know, It can get complicated, but try and have a look. Does it help or does it harm? Are these charities supporting, doing what we're supporting them to do? Unfortunately, many Christian charities are now only Christian in name. They've departed a long way from what we originally supported them to do, so that's worth looking at. Does the charity or the person have a holistic view of humans? Are we preaching the gospel and giving them bread, or are we just trying to do one? Are they highly accountable? Many of you may have read of the disaster Oxfam's had in the last few months. Um, it's unfortunate, but the reality is broken people work in charities. Is the organisation we're supporting highly accountable? And finally, I just put, thought I'd put a few recommendations up for those of you who this may be the start of your journey in supporting organisations. These are not perfect, but as far as I can tell, they are good. They're generally accountable. They generally do what they're supported to do. They're generally effective in doing it. Gospel for Asia, for example, places a high premium on training evangelists that come from the country to speak to people because there isn't the cultural barriers, there isn't the huge expense that comes with sending Western missionaries. 
open doors, many of you will know Compassion Tear Fund. For pure poor relief, if you just want to do something for world poverty, then givewell.org is a fantastic website that evaluates charities on how effective they are in meeting the needs of the poor. It's not holistic, because it doesn't have any kind of spiritual or Christian element, but it does a great job at actually taking people out of poverty. So givewell.org is, is a good resource. And a book to read, if this, if this is interesting for you, Mike Myers was um, head of one of the bosses at World Vision for over 10 years. And he wrestled with a lot of the complexities of how do you really help rather than harm when you're doing charity work. Walking with the poor is a good book. And finally and briefly, justice is better than charity. There's no point buying cheap chocolate made by a farmer who isn't paid a fair wage, so you can save a bit of money to give to a charity that helps farmers who aren't paid a fair wage. There's no point, is there? And yet, so often that's what we do. We buy unethical things, perhaps on some level so we can you know, have more money to do good things with. And um, I suggest if we have to choose between giving more or justice, we have to choose justice. A main contribution that we probably all make is as consumers and purchases. So a resource I want to give you is ethicalconsumer.org. Most things on the market, it will give you an indication of who's better and who's worse, who sources things ethically, who doesn't. The good thing about this website as well is we all have different ethical ideas. So some people care about the politics, some people care about the animals, some people don't care about either. An ethical consumer gives you sliders so you can kind of choose which things you think are really important and then it will give you... You know, it's a really good tool to use. William Wilberforce led the movement that eradicated slavery in the UK. That was a struggle for justice, fought in many ways, but among them was political involvement and decades of campaigning. And the other thing we can do, as well as uh, purchasing properly, is get involved in organisations that campaign for real change. They exist, they engage politically, and although we don't often think of it as part of our Christian duty, I would say that fighting for justice for the most impoverished people in the world has to be political and should therefore be seen as part of our Christian duty. So if you want more information about that, you can talk to me afterwards and I'll give you some. So to conclude this morning, because the kids are back in, we've looked at what the Bible has to say about giving over the last five weeks. And this morning, we're called to give to mission and ministry and poor care. I hope that addressing some of these questions has been helpful, but I'm also aware that not every complexity has been addressed. Not every question has been answered. And I guess my last plea to you is don't use your remaining questions as a way to resist what God convicts you about. I still have questions, but we sort of have to launch and work out the questions as we go. Let's finish with that verse from James. At the end of our series, where we thought about money for five weeks, let's encourage one another. Let's be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. That's the big danger. We could have five weeks, great teaching, great conversations, and not change a thing. Let's not do that. Let's be doers and not only hearers. What a difference it would make to our own lives if we really embraced what Jesus had to say on money and what a difference it would make to our church. You know, I, I would love to be a church that gave over 50% of their money away. 